please open your Bibles with me to the book of Judges, chapter 9. Judges, chapter 9, continuing our study through the book of Judges. You remember in chapter 8, we finished off the life of Gideon and his ministry to the nation of Israel, how the Lord used him to deliver the people from the Midianites, that, that great victory of uh, with just 300 men defeating 135,000 Midianites and the Lord giving them this wonderful victory. Uh, you'll remember Gideon's nickname, which is how he'll be referred in chapter 9, uh, Jerubal, Jerubael, uh, which means let Baal, Baal contend. And uh, this was the name his father gave him after Gideon tore down the altar of Baal in his father's household. And uh, they wanted to kill Gideon, and his father said, No, let, let Baal contend for himself. You don't need to fight for, for Baal. If he's a god, he can defend himself. And that kind of that name stuck with Gideon, let Baal contend, Jerubael. And so you'll see that mentioned. I mention it now because we're going to see him referenced that way in Judges chapter 9. Uh, but he, Gideon was able to obtain that uh, military victory. They wanted to set him up as a ruler. Remember, they said, come, be a king over us. The Lord's used you to give this great victory. And he said, no, I, I will not rule uh, as a king over you. The Lord is to rule over you. But then we also saw that, that uh, Gideon did begin to compromise at the end of his life. He, though he did not rule as a king, he began to live like a king. And he multiplied many wives and also a concubine in the area of Shechem. And he had his son. His son's name was Abimelech. The name Abimelech means my father is a king. So even though Gideon did not rule as king, it seems that he might have began to consider himself something of a king because he even named his son Abimelech, which means my father is a king. And uh, so as, uh, this is kind of the tail end of chapter 8. Gideon passes and, it, and it, it, chapter 8 tells us that Israel again worships the Baals as soon as Gideon dies. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 is not, uh, there are, there are not we're not going to look at a new judge. Uh, there's no judge in the chapter of 9, in, in uh, Judges chapter 9. Rather, it is a kind of a history following Gideon's life. And what it does is it gives us a sample uh, kind of a, a snapshot of the kind of things that were going on in the nations in the nation during the time of the judges. So it's almost as if the Lord kind of takes us on a little detour and just gives us a little an insight into the history. What was happening in the nation? What was causing the Lord to have to, to allow the enemies oppress them? And then, of course, they would eventually cry out and the Lord would raise up a judge. So we will not see a judge in chapter 9, but rather we'll get this history and a sample of the people as they fall away from the Lord. And it has much to do with Gideon's son, Abimelech. He will be something of a key figure in this chapter. And let's get started here now in verse 1. Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubael, now that's, again, Gideon, went to Shechem, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubael reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. 
So they gave him seventy shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Berith, which, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. And then he went to his father's house at Oprah, back to Gideon's area, and killed his brothers, the seventy sons of Jerubbaal, on one stone. This is like an execution style. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the tabernacle tree, terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. So we see just the kind of treachery that was taking place in this nation who had turned away from God. Uh, Gideon's son Abimelech. He's that kind of. Uh, he's he's not one of Gideon's other 70 sons from his wives, but rather he's the offspring of a concubine, a woman that he had relations with in Shechem. And he now sets up this conspiracy. He persuades the people of Shechem to allow him to reign over them as king. And and in so doing, he executes Gideon's son. He hires these worthless and reckless men. And he basically removes all competition for him to rule and reign. Gideon's sons, of course, they wanted Gideon to reign. And if anyone was going to reign, they would have looked to Gideon or to the lineage of Gideon. And, of course, Abimelech wants to remove all that competition. So he, he performs this ruthless and murderous act, with the exception of Jotham, the youngest, who hides and escapes. He returns to Shechem. And uh, instead of, you know, kind of the, the shock and horror of what he has done, they prop him up as king. This, again, just gives you an insight as to what was going on in the, in the nation at that time. Imagine, he goes and he kills his own brothers, 70 of them, all at one stone. So basically, he hired these guys, they captured them, and they executed them one at a time. And then he goes back to this town of Shechem. You'd think they would have thought, what have you done? This is not what we had in mind. No, instead, this is the kind of king we're looking for. And they raise him up as king. There's no remorse. There's no shame. There's no sense of conscience against the violence. But rather, this is the man that they believe they're looking for. Well, pick it up with me now in verse 7. Remember the youngest son, Jotham, who survived. He now begins to prophesy, and he'll prophesy... In the fashion of a parable. This is the first parable in the Bible. Now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim. And lifted his voice and cried out. And he said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go to sway over trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, a thorn bush, 
You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Gideon's youngest son. He gives this prophecy, and we'll see as we walk, work through the chapter how this actually comes to pass. But he shares it in the form of a parable. The trees, of course, representing the men of Shechem, saying, Come and reign over us. They had wanted Gideon to reign over them. Perhaps his sons in, in his lineage, that they would reign over him. Now, this is in, in itself something of a rebellion against the Lord, because the Lord had said, You'll not have a king to reign or rule over you. I will be your king. I will rule over you as a people. And so this crying out, Rule over us, rule over us. And they approach uh, one, uh, the, the olive tree, the fig tree, the vine. And in each case, the response is the same. Should I cease doing what God has already created and graced me to do, the olive tree? Should I stop producing the oil? Should I stop doing what God has given me to do so that I can come rule over you? The fig tree, should I stop producing fruit? The vine, should I stop producing my harvest so that we can come and rule over you? Should we stop doing what God has called us to do in order to please the will and desire of the people or these trees and the parable? And it's important to remember what God has called and purposed. It's not up to man to simply rearrange what God has set in order. It's not up to man to just, well, we don't like what God has. We don't like His plan. We don't like uh, his or, the way He's organized things. Let's do what we want and then go and try to actually recruit people out from what God has called them to do to come do what you've asked them to do. Something of a hireling, something of someone that now is employed by you rather than being employed by God. It's important to remember what God has called and what God has purposed. Gideon's sons would have been the better choice, but like Gideon, they were not willing to go against the Lord's will at this time in Israel's history. I think this is important, uh, really, for all that would look to serve the Lord, even in ministry. Sometimes ministry, ministers can become distracted when they cease doing what the Lord has called and gifted them to do, and they try to please and satisfy the desire of people. You can't be a man pleaser and please the Lord and serve the Lord, not just in ministry, but in your Christian walk, your Christian faith. You've got to be prepared to serve the Lord and keep His commands, even when others try to recruit you to pursue their desires. And that's, that's all this was. They wanted This was a pursuit of their own selfish desire to exalt this king. And, of course, what they'll find out is there is going to be a man who is more than willing to exalt himself as king. And he turns out to be a bramble, a thorn bush, a worthless tree, good for nothing but for the fire. And of course, this is the least you know, eligible candidate. The one who wants to be king by nature of his selfish ambition and desire is usually the worst one to have as king, this self-promoter. So this, this parable, we're going to see it play out. But when people begin to look to man rather than God, 
They, they end up in all kinds of trouble. Who knows what kind of ruler they will set up over themselves. They're so anxious to be like the other nations. They so want a, a protector, a, a, a figurehead. They, they don't want to trust God. They don't want to look to God. They want a man in that place so that they can you know, direct him, so that they can trust him and, and give them you know, their, their, uh, their, their allegiance. And he'll protect and do what we want. And this, of course, is going to get them into trouble. It's a worthless thorn bush. But if you'll take me as king in this, in this prophecy, come under my shade. Now, how much shade does a thorn bush provide? Not much. Come under my shade. This is going to be a worthless leader. And, uh, but if not, if you won't anoint me as king, then let fire come out of the bramble. In other words, if you burn me, I'll burn you. That's the kind of relationship that is going to be established as they set up this, this bramble king. Pick it up now in verse 16. He goes on. He's continuing in the prophecy. This is still Jotham speaking. Now therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbaal and his house, my father Gideon and all his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, He risked his life and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. If then you have acted in truth and sincerity with with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. If this is all good and your heart was right, well then, enjoy this moment, you know, you've, you've done well. Verse 20, But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Beir and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech his brother. He gives this prophecy, and then he runs for cover. No, no, you certainly understand that. This would not be popular. But he kind of sets up this, um, he, he states this prophecy, he tells in a parable what's going on, and then he says, you know, listen, if this is all good, and you know, God's with you, and you've acted sincerely, and you've you know, done right by all of this, then you'll be blessed, and rejoice in what you're doing. But if not then let God bring judgment and recompense for what you've done. kind of reminds me of when Joshua stood before the children of Israel, and he said, you know, if God is God, then serve Him. If not, then don't serve Him. Ultimately, people do what they want to do, don't they? People make their own decisions, and they set their heart, and they're determined to do it. And and it's kind of like, okay, listen, if, if what you've decided is truly of God, and, you know, you've convinced yourself or you've, you've made up your mind. Listen, then, then go and be blessed. Because God will bless those decisions made in truth and in sincerity before Him. But if not, if your heart is pursuing something out of an impure motive, if this has been a wicked thing that you've done, beware. Because God will return and visit the consequence of this. Your sin will find you out. And that's kind of the theme of this chapter. And and Jotham kind of sets that now up as a prophecy. Okay, guys, here's what you've done. Here's what's happened. You've made this man your king. 
Let's see what happens. If it's good, then you'll be blessed. If not, then you'll be burned. Verse 22. We'll see how it plays out. After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the crime done to the seventy sons of Jerubbaal might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech their brother who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who aided him in killing in the killing of his brothers. Three years. Three years goes by, Abimelech is reigning as king. Now, in some, you, know, you might look at that and say, well, that's a long time for the Lord to allow things to go on as usual without bringing any kind of real judgment. Why did the Lord wait three years? You could look at it that way. You could also say well, three years is not very long before God begins to deal. And what is that little window, that three-year window? Well, it's the mercy of God. It's the grace of God. It's the kindness of God. It's the kindness of God that is to lead men to repentance. Paul says in Romans, that's the purpose of God's kindness. Don't misinterpret God's kindness. Don't think His kindness is His approval for you to live in sin, but rather it's the space of His mercy so that you would come to your senses and repent of your sin. Peter tells us that's the only reason Jesus tarries and delays His return is because of His mercy. Why don't you come, Lord? Look what's going on in the world. Lord, how long can you tolerate the sin and the rebellion and just the, the, the debauchery that we see in the world and the, and the misery and the suffering? But remember, when He returns, so ends the time of opportunity for men to give their heart to Christ. Aren't you glad He waited for you? Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for these three years. That God gives space, gives opportunity for these men to come to their senses. He sends uh, this young son of Gideon to prophesy and to somehow awaken their spiritual conscience. And then he gives time, but eventually the Lord begins to deal. And he sends a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. My guess is it probably didn't take much. When you've got personalities like this, it doesn't take much for them to find problems with each other. Have you noticed that? That, you know, when people are that determined, you know, usually they don't get along that well anyway, even of themselves. But God now sends a spirit, and it's for the purpose of bringing judgment. God is actually going to settle the account, because the blood, the innocent blood of those 70 sons is crying out to the Lord. And the Lord keeps record of that kind of violence, that kind of sin. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. God is merciful. God wants to forgive. But trust me, God also is a God of justice. And He is keeping record and He settles the account of this innocent blood. It may take time, but eventually what's going on under the surface comes to the light. You know, Jesus told a parable. And uh, it, again, this, this parable, it kind of ministered to me. I thought, you know, just how, how the Lord often weaves in such wonderful spiritual truth into parables. And I, I thought of this parable in Matthew chapter 7. It's a familiar one to you, but I'll have it for you on the overhead. Verse 24, it says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, 
I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Two houses, and on the surface, both of them look fine. Two houses have been built, and and just by looking, by observation, you can't see that there's anything wrong with either one of them. They both look to be totally fine and complete. But there's something going on beneath the surface, and it's the foundation. And it's not until the storm comes. All looks well until the storm comes. And when the storm comes, then the foundation makes all the difference what is that foundation jesus speaks about whoever hears and does that's the difference those who hear the word and obey the word they're building their life upon a rock who he who hears and does not obey is building his life on the sand and I find that kind of a, a similar principle here back in, in Judges chapter 9, that sometimes things look like they're going all right, like, wow, they got away with it. Three years. Doesn't seem to be any trouble. But there's a foundation there. There's, there's blood that has been spilled on the land, and God, is, God's, God, God saw it, and God knows it. And that foundation ultimately catches up. And we see that in Judges chapter 9. Back there with me. Take a look at verse now 25. God is now stirring up trouble between the men of Shechem and Abimelech. And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way, and it was told Abimelech. So they begin to steal from uh, his his traders, those that are uh, commerce back and forth between uh, the, on the highway, and, and the men of Shechem are now starting to rob. Verse 26, Now Gael, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. Now a rival is coming up against Abimelech. Verse 27, So they went out into the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod them and made merry. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. This is a curse Abimelech party. They're drinking, they're just now, they're really losing respect for Abimelech. And then Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? Now, he, remember, he's, he's been eating, he's been drinking, he's, uh, he's liquored up. Now, he's, he's a big talker. Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubael? And is not Zebel his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? If only this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. And so he, uh, so he said to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. So now the people are starting to turn. Turning on Abimelech, the, the bramble bush. They're beginning to steal from his trade route. He's losing goods. He's losing tax revenue. And this Gael raises up, drunk and boasting. Is he not Gideon's son? Why should we serve this half-relative of Gideon? 
we should serve those that are, you know, the father of Shechem. It appears that Gael must have been maybe even a remaining Canaanite because it says that they had come out of the house of their own God, not worshiping God. And so even though Gideon was God's instrument of help and deliverance, now the people want nothing to do, even with his half-relative, even with a half-breed Abimelech. Increase your army, come out, he picks a fight with Abimelech during his drunken boast. But there is uh, an officer of Abimelech who overhears this. His name is Zebul. He overhears all of this commotion. Look with me now in verse 30. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was aroused. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Take note. Gael, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are, fortifying the city against you. Now therefore get up by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning, that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may then do to them as you find opportunity." So Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night, and they lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. And when Gaal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were lying with him rose from lying in wait. So this is real early in the morning. You know, they've been partying all night, so their heads are probably not that clear. Verse 36. And when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, You see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. And so Gaal spoke again and said, No, see, people are coming down from the center of the land, and another company is coming from the diviner's terebinth tree. Then Zebul said to him, Where indeed is your mouth now with which you said? Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. So, Zebul, a loyal officer of Abimelech, he hears all of this boasting and carrying on by Gael and how, you know, he could defeat Abimelech, come out and fight me. So, Zebul sends messengers, tells Abimelech, look, this guy's turning the people against you. Come out early in the morning. Who knows what condition he'll be in the, in the morning. So Abimelech does. And as they begin to approach the city, it's very early in the dawn. And the vision's not quite clear. And Gael says, hey, there's people. And Zebul, who's already there in the city, oh, no, no, that's just the shadows. Don't worry about it. And pretty soon he's being surrounded. And now he realizes what's going on. And Zebul says, you know, where is your big mouth now, uh, Gael? You were bold when you were drunk and nobody was here. Now it's morning and they're on you. Go on. Go show us how great you are in battle. And so we pick it up in verse 39. So Gael went out. He may not be very smart, but he's brave. He goes out, <laughs> leading the man of Shechem, and he fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled from him, and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. They went out, and they chased him right back into the city, 
defeating them. Verse 41, then Abimelech dwelt at Arumah, so he went back to his dwelling place. And then Zebul, the officer of Abimelech, drove out Gael and his brothers so that they would not dwell in Shechem. So Gael is defeated. He runs back into the city. But then Zebul, he kicks him out of the city. So he's humiliated. His men are defeated. And uh, he's driven from the city. But uh, Abimelech's not finished. This little insurrection, this little disloyalty. Uh, really fires up Abimelech. Look at verse 42. And it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field. Now this is just the people of the city. So clearly they thought this skirmish was over. They, they just went back to living their lives. So they go back out into the fields to do their, their farming. And, uh, but word got to Abimelech. And they told Abimelech. Verse 43. So he took his people divided them into three companies, and lay in wait in the field. And he looked, and there were the people coming out of the city, and he rose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed toward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, so they cut off the gate so they can't get back into the city. And the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city and killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. So, Abimelech. Apparently, the people of Shechem, the city, had shown some loyalty to this enemy, and now he is out for revenge. It's not enough just to kind of put down the insurrection. He now wants to really uh, inflict revenge upon the people. The people don't realize that, so they don't realize that this is the kind of leader Abimelech is. And so they just go about their business, and he cuts them off from the city to return. He slaughters them out in the field. He then turns his attack and begins to kill those in the city. And um, after he conquers and kills them and really just completely overruns the city, he sowed it with salt. He put salt all about the city and probably out in the fields. This was a symbolic but also very practical way of kind of basically he's trying to make the city uninhabitable. In other words, he's not, you know, he kills them all and then he just tries to destroy the, what's ever left of the city by putting salt everywhere, making it very difficult for them to even stay or plant or harvest after he's done with them. Abimelech, quite a character. He's not finished. Verse 46. Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Berith. So after the Abimelech's out there turning the city upside down, now some of them go and they hide in this temple, this stronghold. Verse 47. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand, and he cut down a bow from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder. And then he said to the people who were with him, What you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. So each of the people likewise cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech. 
put them against the stronghold and set the stronghold on fire above them, setting the roof of this tower on fire and then setting fire all around it so that all the people of the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Abimelech, he is on now a rampage. And he is showing no mercy. The people try to hide in the tower. He burns them alive. Men and women. Remember the prophecy. If you don't set me as king over you, then fire will come out from me and devour you. It's exactly what Jotham had prophesied. And now it's literally coming to pass. This bramble king is now burning his people alive, those that he was had established rulership over. And we see that they are paying the price for having foolishly chose their leader. Remember, they made him king after he killed 70 of Gideon's sons. What did you expect? What did you expect from a man that could do that to exalt himself to power, and you put him over you. What did you anticipate? They foolishly chose their leader, and now he does to them the very thing he did to establish his leadership. He murders and kills them. Look at verse 15. Bimelech's not done. You'd think that would be enough. No, he's now going to go to some of the surrounding cities. Anybody else that might have even participated in this rebellion. Verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes. He is now just on a, on a death rage, and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled there, and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So he's, he, he goes to punish this nearby city as well. This is a paranoid, ruthless leader. In his mind, he imagines any kind of... Uh, disloyalty to threaten him. And the only way he, he can respond to it is to, is to kill them. And they also hide in the tower. Well, Abimelech knows how to handle that. He knows how to deal with people that hide in strongholds. He burns them, he burns them out. He burns them up. Look at verse 52. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. And then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me a woman killed him. That is quite an ego. So his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. The war was over. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem God returned on their own heads. And on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. So a woman drops a millstone on his head. She must have been a good shot. (laughs) 
He was hit, his head was, his skull was, was cracked, crushed. He knew that he was dying, so he had his servant kill him before he bled out and died from the, from the rock. And um, we see that uh, he's, even though he didn't want that reputation, right? He didn't want the reputation that a woman had killed him. But guess what? God put his story in the, the bestseller of all time. <laughs> and it's been told and told and told all over the world and all languages for generation upon generation. Trying to protect his image. Boy, uh, his, his image. We, we will all remember Abimelech. And uh, so God, God punishes him. But not only him, but all of the men of Shechem. It says that God returned their evil upon their own heads. God will return. God will uh, repay. And this is an important theme of this chapter. That God does keep account of injustices. You know, we live in a time where we see so many things that take place, horrible things. Things done to children, things done to innocent people, lives that are, you know, just being mistreated, killed, tortured. All over the world, you see it in the news almost regularly, and you wonder, my God, how can you, how can you stand it, Lord? And believe me, God's heart is grieved. And believe me, God, God does not delight in any of it. But we can also rest assured that God takes notice of all of it. And God is a God of justice. And there will be a day of reckoning. And God will bring all accounts to bear. And the scriptures tell us that, that God will return. But not only bad, but also good. And I'm thankful for that too. God keeps record of those things that are done in the Lord. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And look at verse 9. I, I like that this is tagged right on after, after he has said this. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So, God will not be mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. And those deeds that are done in injustice, if, if a person does not repent and receive forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, if he does not come under the covering of Christ and his sacrifice at the cross, he will die, she will die in their sins. And they will give account to God for those deeds. Now, God does not want to judge. God wants to save. God wants to show mercy. God wants to, uh, us to put our faith in Christ and the penalty, the punishment, the return, the repaying that we all deserve. He put it upon Christ that we might not have to endure the penalty of our sin, but through faith in his sacrifice, we might receive forgiveness and mercy. Think about Christ dying for the sins of the world. Think of the weight. Think of the, the judgment that he took upon himself. And all the sins of all men for all time 
can be forgiven at the cross if, if a heart will simply repent in faith and turn to the Lord. But God will repay. A man will reap what is sown, even in secret. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. But also those things that are done in the Spirit. Those things that are done in faith. Those things that are done in the Lord. God sees those things too. And God will repay those things with everlasting life. There will be blessing. There, there is blessing in this life that God meets out to those that serve Him. But there is even a greater eternal reward. The Bible teaches that. That the eternal re- rewards are even far greater yet to be revealed. And so the scripture encourages us, don't grow weary while doing good. Sometimes it doesn't seem to pay. It seems like those that are doing evil get away with it. There's no justice. And the good and the, and the effort that I try to make in the Lord shows no benefit. That's why the scripture says, don't be deceived. Don't, don't let what appears trick you. God will not be mocked. Those that do evil will reap, and those that do good, those that sincerely endeavor to serve the Lord, you will also receive a blessing. So don't grow weary while doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not lose heart. And that whole sowing and reaping, you know, it takes time, right? Gosh, I prayed yesterday, I don't get it, nothing happened today. It takes time, you don't plant, you know orange tree and look for oranges in the morning you it takes time there's a it's a season it's you you will reap in due season it will come but don't grow weary in well-doing this people of uh, Shechem it seems they got the leadership they wanted turned out to be the leadership that they deserved because they rejected God and his leadership and rather than allowing God to lead them Rather than trusting God's leadership, they insisted on their own. And so they ended up with a leader that turned on them and killed them. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'll close with this passage here today. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul says this of, of end time events. He said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires... Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their eyes away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. In the case of judges, it was a political ruler that they were looking for, and they raised up an ungodly man because they thought he would provide the kind of protection that they were looking for. But it happens, as Paul points out, and Timothy, even within the church, even within those that have a sense of spiritual desire, they look to to raise up the kind of spiritual leadership that will tell them the things that they want to hear. And Paul tells us why that happens. It's it's because they have itching ears. They want they really want to pursue their own desires. They're not looking to submit and surrender to God's desire, God's authority, God's leadership. They want to remove that kind of leadership and put the kind of leadership over them that will tell them the things that they want to hear. Their ears are itching for that kind of talk. And they end up straying away from the truth and being turned aside to fables. It's important. Leadership is important. The kind of leadership that we long for and the kind of leadership that we desire, 
We want godly leadership. We want God ultimately to be the leader in our lives. We want God's authority over our lives. And so we look for those that will, you know, give us God's word, minister God's word and truth to us. I would say we should look for that in political leaders as well. I think sometimes we end up as a country with the leadership we deserve because we heap up the kind of men that we think we want and then we wonder why they're doing some of the things they do. We should be praying. We should be conscious of these things, even as a church, even as, a, as God's people. Spiritually and in our, in our time, and we are salt and light in our generation. We need to be mindful of these things because leadership matters. You get a bramble bush in there, boy, you're going to get burned. And uh, that's what happened here in Shechem, and it speaks to our hearts as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Long chapter tonight, Lord, uh, the longest chapter in the book of Judges. But it, it's interesting, Lord, that the Holy Spirit wanted this account to be told. And that you wanted us to, to get a look into what was going on, the kind of struggle, the kind of confusion that even within your own people, even within your own nation, that was going on. Because the people began to turn their hearts away from you. They began to worship other gods, other things, other priorities. And it, it began to cloud their judgment. They lost all sense of discernment and conscience. So much so that they could set up a man like Abimelech to lead them. Lord, how, how easy it is when we, we lose our way spiritually that so many other areas of our life become confused and troubled. And we end up in struggle. And we see, Lord, just this playing out here in, in Judges, this civil war, this conflict, this fear, this paranoia, this competition, murder and deceit. Lord, I pray. I pray for our own hearts that you would keep us loyal to you because Lord that's that's where our minds are renewed that's the anchor for our soul Lord we look at these individuals we look at some of these accounts and we think wow how could they have let that happen but Lord nothing has changed Jesus when he ministered it said he knew what was in man Lord there is still this this rebellion in all of our hearts that We need to surrender in faith to you. Help us, Lord, individually and as a church, as a people, as a nation, to turn our hearts back to the Lord. You're the only source of help and peace and truth. God, we need you. We need you tonight. I pray for each of us here tonight, Lord, that you would just reset our our hearts, that we would not be chasing after something outside of what we know to be your will and authority over our lives. But rather we would surrender, God, knowing that ultimately you love us and desire to bless us, and that if we'll sow to the Spirit, we'll reap everlasting life. And we ask that you would help us not to grow weary in well-doing, for we know that in in due season we will reap if we faint not. As our heads are bowed here tonight, I do want to give opportunity for anyone that may need to respond to the Lord. It may, it may be that you're here tonight and, and you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you are in your sins tonight.
And you know it. And you know that you need His forgiveness. And as I mentioned earlier in the message, you know, Jesus died on that cross so that you would not have to face any consequence, any payment, talking eternally now, any kind of detriment to your spiritual well-being. Jesus paid it all. You can be forgiven. You can be right with God tonight if you put your faith and trust in Him. I'd love to pray for you if you need Jesus. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord, rededicate your life to Him. Maybe... You've strayed from what you know God has for you and desires for you. And the Lord is speaking to your heart tonight, and He's just calling you to come back to Him. And if you want to rededicate your life to Him tonight, I want to pray for you as well. So if you're here tonight and you need the Lord Jesus as your Savior for the very first time, you want to receive Him. Or you need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord. Would you raise your hand where you're seated? Let me see you, and I'll pray for you. Bless you. God bless you, ma'am, as well in the center. You, sir, on the very far right. Amen. Any others tonight? The Lord speaking to your heart. Several people responded. I, I want to pray for them. God bless you, too. Amen. It's between you and the Lord. As we study tonight, He sees, He knows. But He loves you. Anyone else tonight, just before I pray? And so, Lord, for these that have responded tonight, Lord, we are made aware through our study tonight that You do see and You do know and You do keep books. But we also know that the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that you desire to forgive us of our sins, to clean the books, and to give us a a new slate, Lord, to wash us and make us righteous in your presence. Not because we deserve it, not because we can earn it, but because you have done it for us at the cross. So for these hearts that have responded tonight, Lord, we would simply come to you and we would say, Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me tonight. I confess that I've missed the mark and I want to be made right with you and I can't do it in my own strength. There's nothing I can do to merit your love and your grace, but because you love me, I believe you sent Jesus to die on a cross for my sin and pay the price for my guilt and I receive that by faith tonight. And not only do I ask you to cleanse me, but Lord, I ask you to fill me with your spirit. And now, Lord, become really the Lord of my life. I want to live under your kingship, under your authority and rulership, Lord. I'm dedicating my life to you. Meet these hearts tonight, Lord, and love them. Fill them with your grace and your your love in their hearts now in such a powerful way. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? We want